Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. Jude chapter 1, verse 20 says this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Uh, Jude spends a few minutes, uh, a, a portion of this letter, just encouraging the beloved to build themselves up on their most holy faith, which is a unique uh, set of words describing kind of this rich foundation that we have in Jesus Christ and our need to continue building on that uh, and disciplining ourselves to growing in our relationship with God and building on our faith by the hearing and the reading of the Word of God. Uh, he talked about praying in the Holy Spirit, whereby we, we must continue in that prayer and that abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, where we are communing with him on a daily basis with the Spirit of God, giving counsel and interpretation to our words and leading us with his word in our prayers. And he's called us to keep ourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of Jesus Christ, looking forward to that glorification. But then right here in verse 22 and 23, he mentions what I think are about three kinds of people that need help. There's three kinds of people that he describes that need the mercy of God extended to them from the church. He says in verse 22, have mercy on some who are doubting. We talked about those last week. So the first of those that need help are those who are doubting. And then he says, and on some have mercy, or he says, and save others, snatching them out of the fire. So there are those who are burning that need our help. And we'll talk about what that means. That sounds pretty extreme and severe, the way that I said that. And then there are those that are dangerous that also need our help. He says, and have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And we will talk about those um, next week. So this morning, I'd like to take a few minutes and just talk about those who are burning. Um, now, this phrase, to save others, snatching them out of the fire. Now, uh, snatching is a unique word. You don't see that in a whole lot of places in Scripture. It pops up in some cases. You see it uh, worded in English as, as the word seize, which means to take hold of someone or to grab a hold of someone firmly or something firmly, to seize it and to take hold of it. And the language here that Jude is using is... Uh, is applied to us as believers where he's encouraging us to take hold of people, to seize them, so to speak. 
Now, maybe there are some occasions in which we need to physically put our hands on people and take hold of people. Sometimes it would seem that we need to take some people by the shirt sleeves and give them a good shake every once in a while. But I think in this case, he's speaking spiritually and figuratively in the sense that we need to do the work that's necessary to grab hold of the hearts and minds of the people that are around us because they have a need that is severe. And we have the answer to their problem, which is our salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, if we take a look at this concept of burning, because uh, he's talking about seizing people and, uh, and pulling them away from the fire, obviously gr- taking a hold of someone who is in danger of some form of fire, some form of threat, that is uh, promising to destroy them. And he's encouraging us as believers who seem to have firm footing on our relationships with Jesus Christ, who are not in danger of the fire, and lay hands on those who are to the extent that we pull them away from that danger. So let's take a look at a few, um, one specific scripture story that I think really illustrates this well. You may be very familiar with it. It's in Genesis chapter 19. This is the story of Lot being rescued, Lot and his family being rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, and this isn't just a random story that I chose, although I think I could have chosen this among many in Scripture as an illustration of the the threat of fires of of God's judgment. Uh, But Jude specifically mentions them, and we'll come back to that verse in a minute. So let's look at a few verses from Genesis 19, starting in verse 15. So this is just specifically before we dive into the instruction that Jude's giving to the church, we need to take a minute and look at the danger itself. Like, Why is this important? Why are we receiving this instruction? What exactly is the danger? So let's, let's take a look at this uh, just for a couple minutes. Genesis 19, verse 15 says this. When morning dawned, The angels urged Lot, saying, Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of our city. Now that word punishment means iniquity. It actually, in my version, it's translated punishment, but in in Hebrew, it, it is iniquity. It's sin. They were being swept away in their sins. So yes, it is punishment, it is the judgment of God, but it was their sins that brought them there. So this is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and if you read the context, you read about what's going on with Sodom and Gomorrah, and all the details about their wickedness and their sin, and the offenses that they committed before God. And God is bringing His judgment, although at this point, He's extending some mercy because He's not surprising them with His judgment. He's sending word of his judgment, promise of his judgment, and by his compassion, he's offering salvation from his judgment for some. And so he, uh, there are going to be many who will be swept away in their sins. And there's other passages of scripture that refer to the judgment of God as, as the kind of thing that, that would wipe a people off the face of the earth is the kind of language that scripture uses in reference to God judging people in their sins. This sounds harsh. We don't really like to talk about God destroying people. 
Um, we like to talk about the mercy of God and the grace of God and the love of God and the kindness of God. I believe this does not reduce the love of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God in any amount. He is fully a God of grace while at the same time being a God of justice and a God who punishes evil, which is such a good thing. It's built into the heart of mankind even. Even the, those who are lost, who are groping in the darkness for hope, living under the pain and suffering of sin of this world, there is a cry from deep within the heart of humanity that longs for justice, that sees that something is wrong and they desire for that to be made right. Why can't this be made right? Where is the justice? When something evil is done, why is that not punished? Even lost people who are groping in the darkness have that desire. They see that and they long for that, even though they don't fully understand where that come from, comes from. And us, without Jesus, we would not understand where this comes from. Without the Word of God, we would not understand clearly what justice is and what evil is and the difference between good and evil and where, this, where the line is, where, where is the standard. What is holy? What is unholy? What is good? What is evil? God's word and his holiness gives us that. And in Jesus Christ, by the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, we as believers, we've begun to understand it. But in this case, we see it on display. We see the unholiness of the world being judged. We see justice taking place. So yes, God is holy. God is righteous, God is merciful, but he is also just. He is a good God who does not allow evil to go unpunished. But he's also compassionate in that he stays his hand of judgment for the sake of those that are being saved. That is a, is a unique and beautiful message that I think our world needs to hear. A world that's crying out in the darkness for justice who wonders about a God who could allow it all to happen, to know that God will judge the evil, but he is staying his hand for the sake of those who are being saved. He's calling you and I to salvation. That is a beautiful message of hope. Now, let's keep reading about Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, uh, verse 15, When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated, so the men seized his hand. There's that word seize. Now this one's in Hebrew, but it's the same concept. The angel seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. There's the compassion of God, even in the midst of judgment. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. So they immediately took him outside the city, away from the appending wrath. And then in verse 17, it says, When they had brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. So in this instance, you have two messengers, these, these men uh, that are actually angels that have been sent from God. They, they appear to be like men. 
and but they are angels sent by God for the purpose of taking hold of Lot and his family and immediately taking them out of the city. But you notice what's interesting about Lot was that he hesitated. He did not have a full understanding or a realistic picture of the judgment of God. They were telling him that the judgment of it was coming. He warned his nephews and they didn't believe him. They thought he was joking around. They just couldn't see it. They didn't have a good picture in their mind of what the judgment of God was going to be. They weren't taking it seriously to the extent that the messengers, the angels that God sent, had to take them by the hand and physically move them out of the city in order to escape the judgment of God. Now look at verse 23. This is in Genesis 19. The sun had risen over the earth, when Lot came to Zor, so he let the angels let Lot go to a little small city close by. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But his wife from behind him looked back. Remember, she was told, commanded by the angels not to look back. If they valued their salvation, she looked back and she became a pillar of salt. So you see this very severe picture of the judgment of God. Many people might look at this and say, I don't really understand why God would do something like that to an entire city. But the fact is, all who are without Christ, all of us have been, are born in sin and all who are without Christ who die in that sin will face that same kind of judgment from God, that same kind of wrath. And all who are still on this earth on the day of judgment will face that same kind of wrath. It will happen. But by His great compassion, He's provided a way of salvation. Now this is, this is not just a random story that happened and God made sense out of it. This was ordained by God for a purpose. In fact, Jude even told us what the purpose of this display taking place on earth was for. What was the purpose of it? Jude said in Jude chapter 1, verse 7, he says, um, actually, if you were to back up to verse 6, he says, Angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper boat, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So he's talking about this. There's, there's the judgment of God that's extended towards those who rebel against him. Even angels who would rebel against him face the judgment of God. Then look at verse 7 in, in Jude. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since the since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality, that's that iniquity that, that uh, the writer of Genesis was talking about. They were swept away in their sins. All right, They were indulging in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example and undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Now, this is what Jude... Now, Jude is preaching about Sodom and Gomorrah here. He's using Sodom and Gomorrah as an illustration in his sermon. But what Jude is saying is that Sodom and Gomorrah is an example. They're an exhibit, a visual illustration for you and me to get a grip on the judgment of God, to get a, a very realistic picture of just how severe the wrath of God is. This is not just a picture of earthly, temporary judgment on planet Earth. This is a picture of eternal judgment. 
He says, this is given to us as a picture. It's for the purpose of taking our hearts and minds by the soul so that the Holy Spirit can seize us, give us a good shake, so to speak, and drag us away from the danger of the impending fires of hell. That's pretty severe. But honestly, I'm super grateful that the Lord has allowed us to see it this clearly. That gives us hope of being redeemed. God's not allowing us walk, to walk through life blinded to this reality. He's made it crystal clear to us just what we face if we do not know Jesus. Just what the world faces if they do not know Jesus. So Jude says they are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Now one other scripture I'd like to read um, is from... Actually, I'm going to read quite a few today, so I know I, I run the danger. When I have too many cross-references, I run the danger of losing you guys after about two or three. But, um, but I will try to keep you with me on this because they, um, they're exciting to me, and so I want to show them to you as well. So in Amos, Amos chapter 4, you see this concept of a brand being plucked from the fire. And a, a fire brand is, is the language you would hear in, um, throughout Scripture as a coal. Uh, part of the fire, something that's been burning in the, the fire for a really long time, long enough to be a, a small ember or something that's really, really, really hot. You know, a lot of times people would trade those. They'd put them in pans or, or pots and, and give them to neighbors so that they could start their own fires. You know, or if, if the fires were to go out at night, they would do their best to keep the fire brands going so that in the morning they could stoke the fires up again. It's always easier to keep a fire going than to start one from nothing. So they, but a firebrand is a small part of the fire that can be, can be removed, but it's very hot. It's already burning. And so in this case, he refers to the people of Israel. Amos refers to the people of Israel as like a brand that was plucked from the fire. And we know that the people of Israel were chosen out of all the peoples of the world and set aside to be God's people. He promised to be their God and, and they would be his people. He would be their father and they would be his children. They were a people plucked out of all the peoples of the world, saved from judgment. You remember the story of Noah? You know the story of Noah? Noah was plucked from among all the people of the world for salvation. All the people of the world were undergoing judgment in the flood, but Noah and his family were plucked out and, and brought to salvation. And Amos talks about Israel in this kind of language. Look at verse 11. He says, he, in fact, before verse 11, he talks about all the things, the horrible things that he did to, uh, to Israel. They were, they were forms of judgment. I judged you in this way, I've judged you in this way, I've judged you in this way. I've, you know, Israel had faced numerous temporary small judgments from God because of their sins. And all along the way, God preserved a small remnant of Israel and did not kill them all because he had a purpose for all of them. And look at verse 11, he says, I overthrew you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. So there he, there's Sodom and Gomorrah again. So he's talking about how he's judged Israel on multiple occasions, much like he judged Sodom and Gomorrah. But he's speaking temporarily here. But now let's look at this. And you were like a firebrand snatched from a blaze, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Now here's the danger. 
These people um, had seen the judgment of God on display. And many of their own people, the people of Israel, had been dying along the way because of their wickedness and their sins. But all along the way, God was preserving a remnant of the people of Israel for salvation. But what he's implying here and what Amos is implying is that these people had been spared of judgment after judgment after judgment on earth, but yet they were still in danger of an eternal judgment. Here's the danger that many people go through life suffering some forms of judgments for the sins that they've committed on this earth. But many people will go through this life uh, seeing the patience of God that has allowed them to live the lives that they've lived as long as they've lived them in disobedience to God. But the danger is that they still await the eternal judgment of God which is what Amos was saying to the Israelites. He says, God has spared you all along the way yet you do not You do not revere and honor and worship the Lord. And it was a warning that they too look forward to yet another physical judgment on earth and potentially even an eternal judgment forever if they would not repent. So he's saying there is a danger for the people of the world. So just looking at this danger, before we dive into the instruction that we get from Jude here, um, we kind of see this example of a very clear wrath of God to come. Now, here's what's unique about Lot that I think is, um, is interesting. I think some of us not having a clear grasp on the pa- of the power of God's wrath, much like Sodom and, or much like Lot and his family, they just didn't fully see what the angels were talking about. Some of us need persuasion from those of us who know from those of us who understand, from those of us who, by faith, we've read the Word of God and we've seen the visual illustrations described in Scripture and we believe it and we know the severity of God's wrath and we know about it, yet we see the seeds of wickedness that are about to destroy those we love in this world. And it is, it is, uh, there is a, there are people that need people like us who see clearly the judgment of God because they don't see clearly the judgment of God and they need us to reach out to them, take them by the hearts and minds and lead them to Jesus. I think it's very similar to the concept of having, you know, some of us may be familiar with this, where we ourselves have walked through some form of sin that we know very well, some form of sin that has in some sense ravaged our own lives that has caused great damages in our own lives, that has created consequences that we may have to live with for as long as we're on this earth. Even though we know our rich salvation, we know that we'll receive a new body. We know we'll be fully glorified and restored before the Lord. But as long as we live on this earth, we've truly seen what the ravages of sin look like in our own lives. And we see sometimes even in our brothers and sisters the seeds of sin that would take them down that same path. But for some reason or another, they don't see the consequences of that sin or they've become blinded to it and they're walking headlong into the ravages of that sin. And it is... Uh, It compels us who have been there and repented and seen some restoration to reach out to those people and say, stop, don't do that. I'm speaking to you from experience and I'm speaking to you by faith and knowledge in the law of God and the word of God and the judgment of God. And I'm pleading with you, don't continue down that path. 
So here's the, that's the danger that I think the world faces um, in light of the judgment of God. But Jude's not really talking to the church about avoiding the fire, so to speak. He's talking to the church about saving people from the fire and snatching them out of the fire. So what is he really encouraging the church to do right here? Well, I think there's, um, there's a, a couple of applications. When I read commentators, uh, they kind of fall in a few different camps depending on how they're reading the Greek here. But, but it's, it's not, they're not all contradictory. I think there's great applications in um, several ways we can read this here. Uh, One big question is, is this talking about believers who need to be snatched from the fire? Or is this talking about unbelievers who need to be snatched from the fire? And I believe there's an element, there's an aspect of the fire of ungodliness and the judgment of God that applies to both unbelievers and believers. And I'd like to kind of walk through um, both of those a little bit this morning and encourage you to think through that and what it would look like for you and I to, as Jude is explaining to us, uh, seize our brothers and sisters and seize those who are lost for the sake of saving them and leading them, oh, leading them to, to hope and life. So first of all, let's take a look at believers. I think believers are in, dan- in danger of being ravaged by sin, even though the foundation of our faith has been set. So I'm not calling you to, 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 I'm not inviting you and I don't want to put a seed of doubt in your mind that would lead you to question the work that God's accomplished in your life. The foundation of your salvation has been set. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, not by your good works and your good deeds. And we take hope in that because many of us continue to struggle with sin. But therein lies the threat Sin will still create consequences and still ravage our physical lives, even if the foundation of our faith is set. Remember we read from 1 Corinthians a couple weeks ago where Paul was talking about that building, building ourselves up on our most holy faith. And he says some of us, we're adding to that building with gold and uh, silver and precious stones, things that would pass through the testing fires of judgment, and they're, e- they're of eternal value. They're invested in the kingdom of God. Our life is a stewardship. It's entrusted to us by God to be, to be invested as an object of worship for the glory of God, for the honor of God. And the way we live our lives is an investment in the kingdom of God. But some of us are investing all of our lives into things that will not last after death. They're merely invested in all the temporary things that are fun and they're good and they're nice and some of them not so nice. And we're investing in all of that stuff. And when we, we go through the fires of death and we are glorified with God and we are saved, we find that we've not actually used the life that God saved us to live on this earth for any of his glory. And so he says some of us will be saved yet so as through the fire, meaning barely saved. We're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, but did we live that life for the glory of God? No, we didn't. We allowed our sin, the sins of our former life, to continue ravaging our lives day after day after day and ruining the chances of taking this body and turning it into an object of worship, a temple of the Holy Spirit. Instead, as Paul describes, we gave it over to adultery with the world. 
That's the danger for believers. And as an example, you look at David as an example. And I think David, he was a man after God's own heart. The Lord used him to write so much of the scriptures we hold in our hands today. I believe he loved the Lord. He was a believer. He lived by faith. But we know that David sinned. You read about David's sin. And as a result, four of his sons were killed as a judgment because of that sin. He even prayed and confessed and repented of that sin, and he pled with God to not take his sons. But the Lord told him that was going to be the judgment for, um, for, um, for his wickedness. And so then one by one, he watched his sons taken from him as a consequence for the sins he committed. Um, if you want to call him this, quote unquote, a Christian man. A man who was a man after God's own heart committed wickedness in the eyes of God and before those around him, and as a result, lost his sons. Now, you know, you know, especially the parents in the room, you know that even if the Lord, you know the Lord forgave you, you've confessed, you know you have hope of eternal salvation, and there's joy in that, there's hope in that, you know very well the love of God, but that grief will follow you till the day you die. That's the kind of consequence that believers are in danger of suffering in this life as Christians if we allow sin to continue ravaging our souls. I believe that's why it's very possible that Jude is looking at the church saying, listen, guys, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but I feel the necessity to, to write to you asking you to contend earnestly for the faith, fight for the faith, discipline yourself for the sake of the walk of faith with God because ungodliness is so prevalent. I think some of you are in danger of being swept away into the ungodliness of the world and allowing your holy lives to be destroyed and ravaged by the sins of the world around you. And that ought not be the case. And so he looks at the church and he compels all of us, look into the eyes and into the hearts and into the lives of your brothers and sisters. And if you see them being swept away into sin, seize them by the heart and by the mind and draw them back. Rescue them from the flames that would destroy their lives. James gives us a little picture of this. Honestly, the picture in James is a little more scary than I would like it to be. Um, But uh, in James chapter 5 verse 19, he says, my brethren, and this is the scary part, is he's talking about brethren. Believers, Christians, my brethren, if any among you, again, that's the brethren, believers, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, so that would be, that'd be like the position we're putting ourselves in. Jude's telling us as believers to turn each other back from straying into sin. Now listen, I would like to invite you again, just caveat here, be cautious with that. We do this in love. Not with judgment or from some lofty, self-righteous position as though we are holier than thou. We do this with compassion. We do this with love. We do this with gentleness. But with urgency, that word seize is urgent. But that's our job to bring them back. But look what he says. If any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. In reference to the believers needing their souls to be saved from death and their sins to be covered. So there's an implication here that maybe a believer 
or somebody that we think is a believer might not be a believer or might still be in danger of losing their soul to the judgment of God. And so he's saying to us in, in the sense that, and this is my best interpretation of this at the moment, is that in a sense that we look into each other's lives and we hear each other's confessions of faith, and that's part of what makes us members at this church. We're members of the church because you confess that you have faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We've heard your confession. We see the fruit of that salvation, and so we've confessed that we believe that that is genuine, that we see evidence of the Spirit of God in your life. But if this is taking place, it would seem as though the evidence and the fruit is gone. It would seem as though the evidence and the fruit is starting to fade. And so it would bring, to some extent, a question as to whether or not that person's soul is truly in a good place. And so we reach out to them with urgency Believing that they are still our brethren, reaching out to them with all the compassion and kindness and urgency as we can for the sake of bringing them back, knowing that there might still, because we truly can't see one another's soul and hearts, only God knows. There's still a sliver of possibility that that brother or sister is still in dangers of the eternal judgment of God. And so we reach out to them with that kind of urgency to restore them to a place of repentance and confession before God. So then you have, I think, a call for us to consider the unbelievers in the world. Consider the unbelievers in the world. Proverbs chapter 24, I think, is a really, there's a unique verse here in Proverbs 24, verse 10. He says, if you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. So there he's talking about urgency, right? Not being lazy. This is the day of distress. Don't be lazy. Don't be weak. Be vigilant. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. The writer of Proverbs compelling us to be vigilant. This is the day of distress for many. They are facing the eternal fires of God's judgment and he's called us to deliver them who are being marched to their slaughter, staggering to their deaths. And he says, oh, that's an expression of intense emotion. Oh, hold them back. This is our job as believers, as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, as representatives of the kingdom of God. We as a church, we gather as a body because we have in common our faith in Jesus Christ. But this is not our full mandate. Our full mandate is to also participate in recognizing that there are souls out there that are being saved. And it is ours to seize them by the hearts and minds and hold them back from judgment with the hope and prayer that God would save their souls. Another scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. This is, this is uh, Paul's attitude toward the lost as a believer and you know most of Paul's writings I just want to remind you guys I hope I'm not going too long this morning I'm trying to get all this out and I want to explain it so that my, my prayer is that you'll see what I see in this because it's super convicting to me in fact when I studied all this I kind of folded everything up last night and I just prayed oh God have mercy on me because I feel like I need to be where you guys are and have somebody else preaching this sermon to me so that I can just sit and listen and pray and repent because I have great need 
But um, 1 Corinthians 8, Paul, he's, most of his letters are written to believers, to the church. He's discipling them to be the body of Christ. But he expresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting verse 19, he kind of expresses his attitude towards those who are lost in the world. He says, for though I am, a f- I am free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all so that I might win more. So there it is. He's talking about winning people. And what's he talking about winning? He's talking about saving them. He's talking about leading them to Jesus. He's not, he's not obligated to be among any people group for his righteousness or for his salvation or for his good religion because his salvation is secured in Jesus. But he submits himself to multiple kinds of people groups and organizations and religious belief systems. And he, and he walks among them not to condone their ways or to try to do their ways with them, but he, he listens to them and he identifies with them to enough extent that he can share the gospel with these people. Look at what he says. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are, be, who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. So he's, he's looking at all these people who believe different things. He's saying, I'm, I want to know and love all of these people for the sake of leading them, for the sake of winning them. Not necessarily for the sake of being all their friends and everybody just getting along, but his desire was to win them and to convert them and to lead them to the truth. So then he says, to the weak, in verse 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I might by all means save some. Now he uses that concept of saving people a couple times in scripture. Again, he, he uses it in uh, Romans eleven fourteen. We won't read it, but it's that same concept where he refers to himself as saving people. But what he's referring to is the effort that he's going through, the intention that he's going through to recognize the lostness in the hearts of those around him, and he's going to them, and he's preaching the truth to them, so that by all means, maybe some of them would be saved. And so he's preaching to all, because he sees the danger that they're in, many of them believing that they worship God. Many of them believing that they're in right relationship with God, but Paul, knowing that they're not, was going to them for the sake of maybe saving them. So that raises the question, can we save people? Well, Jude's telling us, save people, snatching them from the fire. Now, we know that we can't actually change people's hearts. We can't. Uh, we do not have the power to open people's minds and hearts to truly see the grace and glory of God. But we do have the Word of God and the Spirit of God within us. We have the gospel of the kingdom. This is the power of God unto salvation. 
So we preach the Word of God, and the Spirit of God through His Word as we preach is what will open the hearts and minds of those who are lost and allow them to see the truth and create that faith that is necessary unto salvation. And so we preach knowing that we can't actually save anyone, but yet by our efforts, it is as if we are saving people from the flames. Paul, um, just by way of saying, if by some method I might save these people, I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I can reach them with the truth, maybe I can save them. And we know Paul is not taking credit for saving anyone's souls. He's just acknowledging that he's leading people to Jesus who would save them. And that's our task, is to lead people to Christ The last scripture I'd like to read this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12. And we know this one very well. It says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men, whereby we must be saved. Salvation only comes in the name of Jesus Christ. We have to be saved by that, and those around us must be saved by that. So this snatching people from the fire is an effort of taking people by the heart and mind in any way that we can, as long as it does not contradict the word of God and, and the, the holiness of God, that we, we take hold of our, our friends and our family and our enemies and our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we preach Jesus to each other again and again and again and again. We lead each other back to Christ Because Jesus is the one who saves our souls. And that's where it lands. So this morning I'd like to encourage you as brothers and sisters. First of all, I think this message is for believers who see sin in the uh, the lost and in the saved. In our brothers and sisters and in those we know are not brothers and sisters around us. If you see it. Take hold of them. Make the effort for the sake of saving their souls. Find them. Preach Jesus to them. Bring them. Make, plead with them to be reconciled with God. Paul says we're ambassadors for the purpose of pleading with people to be reconciled with God. Be right with God. It's that same, it's the old-fashioned Baptist message. It's time to get right with God. Repent. And that's our plea, even to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then also to believers, um, the third application, and this is the last one, this would be, you know, we're looking at how to save others by snatching them from the fire to save believers and unbelievers. We also need to consider our own souls. We can't save ourselves but Christ can. And I believe the Holy Spirit of God as believers is pleading with us, is taking us by the heart and by the soul, much the same way as the angels taking Lot by the hand and leading him out of the city. Jesus is taking us by the heart on a daily basis and pulling us away from the sin that would ravage our lives as believers. And we need to listen to the Spirit of God. We need to not harden our hearts to his his voice in our minds, and we need to, we need to repent if we have 
uh, entertained any amount of sin in our lives. Now will be my plea to you as brothers and sisters, as we look toward others and how we might plead with them, consider your own soul. How has the Holy Spirit of God been leading you out of sin and are you listening? Because if you're not listening, I contend that you're in great danger. And to that I say I am in that, I, I preach that to myself. And um, would ask as you pray for one another that you pray for me as well. That the Lord would continue to lead me in his righteousness and holiness. That as the Spirit leads me, I would listen. The same as the rest of us. And then to the unbelievers, if you're struggling in your faith, and if you're not sure you are right with God, hear God's warning in Scripture. It's very real. It's very real. Cry out to Jesus for salvation. And again, that same old message you've probably heard many times. Repent. Turn away from your sins and follow Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.